0: Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England send in QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo quick pass, caught by Kittle, he
2: dives, and he's in! Touchdown! Yeah, you heard it there. It's Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. That guy right over there, you see him? That's Chris Peterman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today sports media group. And Chris, before we get into our very special hashtag big show, uh, where we preview the NFC West with writers from each NFC West team, We've got big news. You and I golfed together this past weekend. Yeah, we
3: most certainly did. It, it was, was it was an experience.
2: It sure was. Um, <laughs> I was not lying to you when I said I'm not great at golf yet. But no, so
3: I wanted to ask you, like, did you actually have fun? Because yeah, there are people who play golf and they're new at it. And sometimes it can be a struggle and you don't really know if they're having fun or not.
2: Yeah no I <laughs> so I'm a person you can't tell if I'm having fun. No um the <laughs> the the thing is is I I am enjoying myself. If I if I wasn't I wouldn't pay to go play. Like it's it's not a free activity.
3: Yeah, it's a it's a tough course. We played so, Lake Chabot in in the Oakland Hills. Uh if anybody's ever played there they they know exactly what we're talking about. Um it's a very quirky course. Sometimes the conditions aren't great. You decided to play the tips with us, which was uh ballsy on your part and I give you credit for it, but if it were me, I'd, I I would have just said screw it, I'm playing from the whites or the reds and and just just do that, make things a little bit easier on myself, but I commend you. You were brave. You went out there, put a lot of swings together and I got to watch you get your A first lot par, of so. swings. I got to watch you get your first par, which was cool. Was like that, I did.
2: Moment. I did. Uh that was that was very fun. Uh, I was the only person to keep a drive on the fairway on that hole. No big deal. Uh, (laughs) um, no, I just, it with golf, it's like, I know I'm not good at it yet. And I know I'm not good enough to be mad. Like JJ Reddick has this whole thing. Like you need to shoot a certain percentage to like, to like clap your hands together and get mad when you miss a three. Right. And that's how I feel. But at the same time, I hit enough good shots, like on the course and on, on the uh at the driving range that i feel like i should be better than i am that's, and that's the feeling and, of every golfer all the right time. right i'm not unique in this i know right. uh and it's just a matter of like it's not the one or two bad shots it's when i hit six bad shots in a row on the same hole right. where it's just like this is stupid why am i doing this <laughs> and that's how i feel in the moment and then i get done and i'm like man i can't wait to go again
3: So it's weird when, when you're near the end of your round, depending on how you're playing, if you're ending, well, you really can't like wait to play again. If you're ending poorly, you're like, I never want to play this game again.
2: But see, that's the thing is, is I always play poorly, but I'm always like, man, I can't wait to get back out there because I rely on, like I, I golfed Sunday as well, a big golf guy now. And I, I parred two holes, (laughs) which uh, is double the amount of pars I had ever. So, (laughs) so you know it's the little it's the little improvements like that i've been playing
3: since 2011 and i can tell you i'm a million times better than i am that like right now than i was then and i went through a lot of the same things you did where it was like i would hit two memorable shots around and then just sort of keep reliving those in my head over and over again until you start putting together way more and and You'll get better. All you got to do is keep playing. So if anybody's frustrated by golf
2: out there, just keep playing because it's a lot of fun and, and you, you will get better. And that's the thing is like, I know my experience here isn't unique. It's not like everybody's just awesome at golf right away. <laughs> right. And I'm not. So I'm 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 enjoying it. And it gives me uh, an excuse to do an easily social distanced activity Absolutely. with some friends. It's so me
3: during quarantine. If I didn't have golf, I don't know what I would do. I'd be yeah, one of those you, weird you've been, people
2: You've been going to the runs. range a lot. You golf a lot. Once or it's twice. concern
3: that's i, I got are you okay <laughs> <I'm great.
2: laughs> i am great so let's uh another socially distance activity that you and i do together is is podcast right. and we should get into that right now because people are listening for for niner stuff not golf mm-hmm. uh if you've made it this far thank you we're going to preview the nfc west today so we have jordan Rodriguez from the athletic we have joe fan from nbc sports up in seattle and then we're going to have Jordan Ham, who writes for uh, Arizona Sports 360 down uh, in Arizona. He covers the Cardinals uh, for that site. So we're going to talk to them. We're going to ask four questions because, Chris, you and I are so dug into the 49ers that we follow the rest of the league, but we're not uh, you know, following the minutia of every team in the NFC West throughout training camp.
3: Yeah, I keep I keep an eye on the headlines. I'll go through a right. football talk sometimes and just see what's happening. But usually when I'm when I'm uh, studying teams, it's it's usually the week the 49ers play that team. So right. I haven't done a whole lot of work yet on the NFC West. I I think I know probably too much about the 49ers just because I've been exposed to tra- or we've all been exposed to training camp for so long. But um yeah, I'm ready to learn a little bit about another team. Sounds like a, a beneficial activity
2: at this point. Speaking of things you learned about the 49ers, check out uh, Sacramento B. Chris has his 53-man roster projection. His only 53-man roster projection. Only up, doing one. Uh, right now. So go uh, make sure you check that out. What we're going to do for the NFC West, though, when we talk to our guests, rather than just trying to uh, pick through some stuff they've written and and ask about certain uh, things with the team, we're going to paint with a broader brush. We're going to ask four questions of each Uh, of each writer we're going to ask whether the team got better or worse this offseason what has to happen for them to win the nfc west what's standing in their way of winning the division and what their record prediction is and then within that uh we'll we'll have some follow-up questions and things like that to hopefully uh inform ourselves and of you the listener of what the 49ers are facing and an nfc west that that based on like you said reading headlines and just kind of following the league in general seems like it's going to be a pretty loaded division I think it's best division in the NFL. It, it feels like it's trending that way. Like if the Cardinals are as good as people think they're going to be, it might be. So if it's not the NFC
3: West, what, what other
2: divisions in the running? The AFC North? Yeah. Uh, AFC North, maybe the NFC North. If the lions are suddenly good. Yeah. The Vikings got Yannick and Yeah. I
3: mean, the, 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 the NFC West is the last two NFC champions. Right. Um, and that doesn't even include Seattle. And then you have Kyler Murray, who a lot of people think could be an MVP
2: type player at some point in his career. My,
3: I think it's the NFC West.
2: My really quick Cardinals take is that we're a year ahead of them the way we were with the Browns.
3: That's fair. They could definitely, that's like, cause that, I, fair. I still Look, don't
2: think their defense is going to be very good, but we'll ask Jordan about that.
3: Yeah. And I talked to uh, I talked to somebody in the league um, who scouted Isaiah Simmons pretty thoroughly, and like it, Isaiah Simmons isn't he's he's a physical monster, but I, I think a lot of people thought there were better safeties in the draft. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see what they do than with Isaiah them. Simmons, who didn't have all those freaky physical tools. Yeah, um, and that's just you know, but we'll we'll see. George Kittle
2: goes against Isaiah Simmons week one. That's that's a pretty enticing matchup going to be a fun matchup to watch uh the 49ers face the rams first in week six uh we will talk with jordan rodrigue of the athletic about the rams like i said joe fan about the seahawks and jordan ham about the arizona cardinals so let's get in to our division preview all right so up first on our nfc west division preview is the los angeles rams and joining us today is Hard Knocks superstar and, uh, <laughs> uh, no, Jordan Rodriguez. She covers the Rams for the athletic. Uh, and, and Jordan, we're just talking here before, before we started recording and I wanted to get this, uh, done off top. We'll have our four, uh, broad questions, which you already pushed back against, but that's fine. Um,
4: <laughs> I wanted five. I,
2: well, okay. Well, you're getting a fifth, a fifth one. Here's a bonus question right now. <laughs> uh, how are they doing hard knocks this year with all the like safety and social distancing guidelines and protocols at the facility?
4: So I will say I really loved how hard knocks covered COVID because they showed guys getting tested. They showed guys who had tested positive and they're talking about their experience. And Anthony Lynn was huge in that regard. They talked about, Everything, the range of experiences, um, you know, Andrew Whitworth and his entire family got it um, and didn't even realize how contagious it was until they got it. Um, you know, Rams outside linebacker Terrell Lewis had it and had like some minor to medium symptoms and, you know, they showed testing, they showed procedure, they showed how how much protocol um, that teams are going to have to abide by and are abiding by. They, what I thought was really important, showed players in all sorts of different types of masks. They showed coaches talking about masks. They show, they really showed, I think, the average person. And although there are not actually very many people watching Hard Knocks this year, um, they showed the average person, I think they they demystified a lot of the sort of COVID preparation experience. And I think they, you know, I was hoping that they showed people who many consider as to be role models or people that, um, certain members of society look up to. I, I really appreciate they show them getting tested and, and washing their hands and wearing masks. And of course the Rams had their logo on all the masks. So that was <laughs> classic. And so, um, I, I thought they showed I, I thought hard knock showed that whole process really well.
3: Yeah, it's been it's been interesting to uh, to see how how the league is is handling all of it from from our perspective covering the 49ers. It's like <clears throat> we basically get let in the back gate to watch practice, <clears throat> excuse me, and then they and then they kick us out. So we don't even get anywhere near the facility. We don't see anything inside. Like we have to look through our binoculars 200 yards away to see like this crazy elaborate weightlifting setup they have now with individual tents for for almost every player. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see, but, um, between the lines, I, I'm very curious about the Rams because, uh, I think they're a very high variance team where they could be, you know, I, I could see them going five and 11, just as easily as they could go 11 and five. Um, so I I'm curious what you think and, and, um, everything, you know, about the Rams, if you think they got better or worse this off season and, uh, and why you think that might be.
4: You know, I actually think they got better, and I think the national conversation is the opposite of that, which is interesting. I think that people saw they lost Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks, Corey Littleton, and they were like, oh, no, what are they going to do? But really, what they lost was in the run game was inconsistency, and this is no offense meant to Todd Gurley, who's awesome, but they didn't have that consistency last year, and they needed to reestablish it because so much of what Sean McVay does on offense is predicated by setting up the run. OK, and so then the offensive line was tragic last year, which we know, which meant in some parts, Jared Goff was tragic. And so, you know, you, you have to now factor in that this line is coming back healthy. You know, they are establishing more consistency right off the bat. They have not shuffled around their offensive line since training camp started because they're trying to get these guys as many reps together, especially healthy as possible, to make up for so much lost time. Jared Goff went and worked with 3 d QB in the offseason in Huntington Beach to get better at – and I feel really bad for him that he had to even do this – but get better at operating within chaos. <laughs> their words, not mine. And it just hurt my heart a little bit because it's like, oh – You know, imagine someone telling you, like, "Yeah, you know, we're you're going to grocery shop, but as you're walking through every aisle, we're going to throw jars of peanut butter at you." And that's operating chaos. It's like normal activities are no longer normal because being under pressure is now the new normal for Jared Goff. So he he worked on all of that kind of mechanical stuff with Tom House and Adam Detto, like you know, throwing off his back foot, what kind of mechanics do you need when you're in a desperate situation, throwing off your front foot, what kind of mechanics do you need? So you're not just relying on your arm strength and your precision, which then, you know, takes away your longevity and your career. So, you know, all of this to get around the point that I think they got better because individuals within their systems got better, got healthier I do still worry about inside linebacker without Corey Littleton, but I think their front and coverage is so stellar that I don't even know if you're going to worry too much about that this year. So I I do think they got better. I liked what you said about variation because I do think they have that. And I think that's going to come down to coaching. um, And I think that's going to come down to adjusting quickly when things are not working for them. And I would assume some things will not work for them because that's just how it always goes. So um, you know, I, I would, I liked what you said there. I do think though, and this is coming in, obviously as someone, I just started covering this team this year, but you know, had to like bury myself in their film of the last several years. Jeff Fisher era was terrible to watch. Um, <laughs> yeah, I but, heur- you know, that. I've, I've heard rumors about that. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I do see when I'm looking at the product on the field right now in training camp and what I was watching at times last year. I do see market improvement. So I think that's something for them that's positive.
2: Uh, Last year, they went with two tight end sets a lot more often in 2018. I think it was like 8%. And then last year, it it went up over 20%. Do you think we see more of that uh, this season with with Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby?
4: I do. I think that that's the smartest move to start out the season because they're still establishing what their running back committee is going to look like tangentially and also bringing one rookie running back and one second year back who was hurt last year along within that committee. So that's going to take some time um, to establish sort of that dependency on that sort of consistent play action, play action. So you need options, right? And you also are bringing along uh wide receiver three, Van Jefferson, who's about as pro ready as I've seen a guy other than Christian McCaffrey come into this league um, on offense. And so you're bringing a couple of guys along without a spring. So what are you going to do? You're going to lean on Tyler Higby probably because mm-hmm. he was, you know, he was Jared's guy at the end of last season. And that rapport, as far as I can tell in training camp, has really, really come along. And then you factor in Gerald Everett, who's just like, everywhere and can just pull these catches out of nowhere um you know and create this super wide target window for Jared Goff which as we covered before, if you're operating in chaos, super nice when your guys can create a, <laughs> wide, a wide catch window for you and pull open, down sure. the ball through traffic. It is better. I find that when receivers are open. Yes. And so um, I do think you're going to see, see that it's a comfort zone. I think that if you can do things within a comfort zone at the beginning of the season, when everyone is going to look God awful, um, then you have an advantage if you're already operating well within that comfort zone.
3: So you, you've sort of touched on some of this stuff, but Irrespective of what happens with other teams, what what do you think needs to go right with the Rams for them to win the division?
4: I think they need to beat other teams.
2: Okay, that's a, that's a good take.
4: <laughs> no, Wait,
2: I, that's
3: huge. This like
4: stunning breaking news. <laughs> no, I, I cover I cover football for a living. No, yeah, okay. so <laughs> no, so believe me, I swear. So. um, No, I mean, I think it's a division that just cannibalizes itself, right? I think it's going to come down to, and this is so cliche, I'm sorry for even saying it, but it's just going to come down to inches sometimes, right? And coaching is going to matter so much in those specific games. Also, and specifically, I think it's going to, the division itself will be more of a test for new defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley, than it will be for Sean on the offensive side because Brandon Staley is going to be, you know, doing his thing, Calling plays for the first time in his career. So that's, that's going to be a curve. Um, but then also, you know, I think they just have to stay healthy. Really, I think they're very, very talented if they stay healthy. It's all about consistency, like these guys historically, and I know they worked on it, but historically, these guys did not look good operating within, you know, sort of that off schedule that we that we touched on. And so I really think that's going to be the case. I don't worry about this defense. I worry mostly about this offensive line. And then after that, I worry about inside linebacker. But there's less predicated on what the team does at inside linebacker than what they need to do with a healthy offensive line. So that's that's kind of where I worry.
3: Okay, so you mentioned Brandon Staley. And I think he's just he's one of the more fascinating figures in the division because of who he's replacing and, uh, and and Wade Phillips and obviously one of the most accomplished offensive coordinators um, in the league over, I guess, the last generation or so. But w- what did you make of that transition to Staley? And, and what were the Rams saying about the reasoning behind it?
4: Um, I'm so glad you asked me this because I actually have a piece coming out on Tuesday morning about this. Oh, um, so Brandon Staley, I think, is going to be a star, in this league and the way that he designs defensive scheme and also the way that he sees a rhythm and a cadence and sort of operates with the assumption that yes, he has many of the answers, but if his player has an answer that's better than his in terms of you have Aaron Donald, get him open, (laughs) you know, like things like that. You have Jalen Ramsey move him to cover massive tight ends that you can't otherwise defend because he can, he's Jalen Ramsey, you know, things, things that are, are going to be, I think more creative. And I don't say that as a knock on Wade Phillips, because how could you ever knock on the guy? Like amazing, amazing history. But what Sean McVay really needed was somebody who was going to get under his skin at practice and who was going to design things and create concepts that were so that were cutting edge and progressive and challenge McVeigh to the point where he is not sitting with all of his success at 34 and thinking, okay, uh, this is how I will operate within this zone. Instead, pushing to find the next, these guys do battle with each other every single day at practice. It is so fun to watch. And you can see the friendship and the camaraderie there, but you can also see how much it just irks the other guy. If, if like the secondary gets a takeaway or jumps around and is like just smarter than the other side. Right. And I think that that's so important that, and, and, and the complete reason why Sean McVay went in that direction, um, not anything negative toward Wade Phillips at all, because Wade was a very much a mentor to Sean and taught him how to not only be in a head coach role, but also, operate as the CEO of a team at the same time. And that was such an invaluable lesson for Sean. But now that he knows how to do those things, he needs to be pushed. And so that's why he went out and found Brandon Staley.
2: What are some of the things that the Rams have standing in front of them uh, when it comes to winning the NFC West outside of, you know, other teams and and what other teams are doing when you, when you look at the Rams, what are kind of their shortcomings? And what might keep them from winning the NFC West this year?
4: You know, I I do think, like I said, I do think that this division just cannibalizes itself. And so they need to, it's winning in all phases. Again, so cliche, and I'm sorry about that. But really, winning in all phases, their kicker situation is uncertain. They had a really, like, so many games where Tyler Higbee, I think it was like six times Tyler Higbee could have scored a go-ahead touchdown last season. And didn't he was like a yard short? Um, Just little things like that make all the difference in the world, and it's stuff like that that I think keeps Sean McVay up at night. Um, And so, he remembers
2: all of it.
4: Yeah, because he just <laughs> yeah, and he just like sees <laughs> like it's why his hair's so big. It's just full of anger, and so you know it, he just I think it's those details in hammering out those details. I do think health is the biggest thing, sure but hammering out those minutiae and the, those little tiny things that can make the difference between the parody that the league tries to drag every team down into and be eight and eight and the teams that kind of get to go on a run. And I really think this is like the, the strongest division in football. I think you might even see three teams go to the playoffs, but you don't want to be that fourth one.
3: I agree. I just made that take before you came on. Very oh, strong. I copied you. Yeah. Ah, uh, you didn't hear it. That's fine. It's pretty rude. Um, <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's flattery, right? Imitations. Sure. It's a copycat league, guys. It's a real right. copycat league.
3: No doubt. Um, all right. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, I don't know how many Rams fans are, are going to end up listening to this, so I don't know if they're going to be upset with you. Thousands. Or not. But um, do you have <laughs> a, uh, a record prediction for the Rams for the 2020 season?
4: Ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 9-7, and seven. but I think okay. that they sneak into the playoffs.
3: Oh, interesting. Yeah.
4: I, like that I think it's going to be like, I. Yeah. and remember guys, I just came from covering the Panthers for four years. So this is a right. team that like somehow like broke its leg and backflipped into the playoffs one year. So right. <laughs> this anything could happen.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was the first time we met when you were covering the Panthers out in the, you, you guys had to come to San Jose for a week.
4: Yeah, that and was, was, and then they lost, they lost both games and three centers. Oof. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Tough scene. Tough scene. Tough scene. <laughs>
2: well,
3: welcome to the West Coast. It's happy to have you. Um, and welcome to the NFC West. It's going to be fun. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to to the Niners and Rams games. I think anytime Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay match up, I think it's, I think it's re- really fun. And, and there's sort of an underlying um, ego thing going on between those two guys, given how well they know each other and stuff.
4: Um, oh, absolutely. It's the hair versus the hat. I mean, really, it's, that's, it's that's fantastic. what really people like say that.
2: about me and Chris. <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, yeah, everybody, check out Jordan's work at The Athletic. And uh, hopefully we'll run into you sometime soon. And uh, you stay safe down in Southern California.
2: R- run into you six feet away, though.
4: Yeah, at yep. a distance, wearing masks. Yeah. And thanks so much for having me on, guys. I'm really looking forward to working with you in the future here.
2: Yeah, no problem. Alright, we'll continue with our NFC West preview in a moment, but first, a quick break. Hey, you've counted on restaurants, and now they are counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they are still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door that's right the only reason you need to get off the couch is to go to the door and grab the food ordering's easy open the DoorDash app choose what you want to eat and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting choose from your favorite national restaurants chipotle wendy's the cheesecake factory and many many more including many of your favorite local restaurants they're still open for delivery too Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners, that's you listening to this podcast, you can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on the first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, for $5 off your first order with DoorDash.
3: Kyle, can you believe that we are two Sundays away from week one?
2: I can't. It's crazy, right? It's wild. It feels it- like right around the corner and also forever away.
3: Perfect. Yeah, my 2020 take is it's been both the longest and shortest year of that I've ever experienced. But, uh the good news is when nfl sunday comes back september 13th nfl sunday is here and you can stream every live out of market nfl game sunday afternoon on your favorite devices plus red zone and DirecTV fantasy zone channels and you'll never miss your favorite teams and favorite players what i like to do in a lot of these situations is i can have my laptop set up uh with a different game on and then an ipad set up with a different game on and if i feel like i need another game i could always use my phone um, on top of whatever uh, television situation yeah sometimes you just really have to get after it on a sunday afternoon um so no matter where you live nfl sunday ticket.tv is your key to the most glorious sundays ever use promo code blue wire at checkout to get 15 percent off your subscription Visit NFL Sundayticket.tv and use promo code BlueWire again for fifteen percent off your subscription.
2: All right, continuing with our NFC West preview, uh, we moved to the Pacific Northwest where Seahawks insider for NBC Sports Northwest, Joe Fan. Joins us and Niner fans, you might be familiar with with Joe Fan. He actually used to
5: cover the Niners.
2: Uh, Joe, how much worse is it covering the Seahawks? <laughs> it's
5: it is so much nicer and it has nothing to do with the team. But man, let me tell you, being outside of the the team umbrella is just so freeing and liberating. And I, I'm not even like a really a a hot take guy, but it's just fun to be able to speak your mind and not have to worry about who's going to get upset with you um, and all those sorts of things. I mean, it is, it's been fantastic. It's was an opportunity I was looking for. It just happened to be back home, um, which is amazing, but it's fun to stay in the same division. And obviously, you know, the Seattle are team that, that I know well being from Seattle, but then also covering the Niners for four seasons. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I have nothing but amazing things to say about the Niners. Uh, and at the same time, I, I definitely don't miss it there at all. It's been a really fun opportunity. Yeah, we miss having you on the beat, man. Dude, I miss you guys. Like, I, I think, and there's, you know, it's just great dudes on the beat up here. But, um, yeah, I mean, and there's something about that crew with you, you, know, you and Mayoko and, you know, the, the quirkiness of Branch and Barrows. And <laughs> we had a lot of time, a lot of fun times on the road. And so I definitely miss that. But, but again, it is nice to be able to stay in the division to where those relationships you build um, are still very relevant where you can have conversations like this, from a content standpoint, um, but then also, you know, I mean, this year will be the the exception, but a couple times a year, um, you know, seeing seeing you guys as well is is pretty neat. So, um, very lucky with how it all turned out.
2: So, what we're going to do today is we're just going to go through four kind of general questions about the Seahawks, and then we'll kind of ha- uh, have some follow ups uh, through each of those general questions. And the first thing I want to ask you, Joe. Uh, did the Seahawks get better or worse this off season?
5: They got better. Um, and I think they potentially got significantly better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, obviously the lines are a big question, but I think at linebacker, they should be a lot better. Um, I think their secondary is so drastically better that that alone makes them a better team. Um, you know, so I think it's the Seahawks were so like remarkably average last year that it's, it's, easy to forget that they made the divisional round and were one drive away, really a Malik Turner drop in green Bay away from being in the NFC championship game against the Niners. And, you know, you look at those two matchups last year where the Niners were so clearly the better team, but Russell Wilson is just so incredible that he's able to kind of will the team to, you know, one yard or one inch really from, from winning the division. And so, um, you look at that standpoint, the Seahawks in general are, are always going to be a very high-floor team. That's going to be the case as long as Russell Wilson is there. But um, you know, I think the offensive line should be status quo at worst. But I think they should get better. Um, you know, Damian Lewis, right guard at LSU, third-round pick, they've been really pleased with him. He should be a big upgrade. Brandon Shell should be an upgrade over Jermaine Effetti. Um, and then they'll hopefully get Dwayne Brown for a full 16 games, keeping him healthy is a, is a major priority. And then the defensive line, they don't have Clowney, but I think it is – an overall better group, um, you know, top to bottom depth wise. I think there are so many more pieces that you say, okay, that's a, that's a solid rotational piece that, that that guy can be a factor where you didn't have that last year. I mean, Ziggy Ansah is really an addition by subtraction. He gave the Seahawks nothing last year apart from, you know, like one game. I think it was like week 10 against the Eagles. He kind of came out of nowhere and had like a sack and a half forced to fumble and was like, wait, where has this guy been all year? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was really non-existent beyond that. And so I think that's, If you're a Seahawks fan, that's the frustration because you want Clowney back so bad because there's so much more talent around him to where you couldn't just throw double team after double team at him. Um, But even in his absence, I think, you know, the Jamal Adams addition is gigantic. He's probably their best pass rusher, to be honest with you. But the Quentin Dunbar trade, uh, throwing Marquise Blair, their second round pick of a year ago at nickel. uh, They've been raving about him. Um, I think Russell Wilson has potentially the best skill players that he's ever had, you know, Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, DJ Dallas, a rookie running back. They're really excited about, uh, I think DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, you know, one of the more unheralded receiving tandems in the NFL. And I think they're going to be fantastic for us. And you look at the two tight ends and Greg Olson and Will Disley. And so there's a lot of firepower there. It really just comes down to whether or not their offense and defensive line, um, are able to, you know, be good enough to where they're not a complete liability.
2: I want to ask you a question about that defensive line. Is there any chance Jadavian and Clowney returns to Seattle or has that ship just kind of sailed?
5: I think I will. Can I keep saying it just makes the most sense for him to come back? Um, you know, he knows the team at this point. I mean, he'd be joining so late. I mean, week one is pretty much here at this point in terms of mm-hmm. You know, He really, the, the trade happened, you know, a year ago, this coming Saturday. And, you know, he just got thrown right into the fire and, Um, you know, I think he was much better last year than his stats would suggest. And I understand why teams wouldn't want to pay him 20 million a year. I understand why he, you know, sees his value at what it is, but now it's come the time where, okay, are you going to pull a levy on bell and sit out for a year and, um, say, Hey, it's not worth putting my body through it. You know, if I'm not getting paid what I believe I'm going to get paid and you know what, that's okay. That's it's his body. It's his life. He's every right to make the decision, but there's no way you can argue that it's a, you know, at this point would be a you know, smart financial decision because you're not going to gain any extra value by sitting out for the season. And you're going to have to somehow recoup the value or what you're missing this year. So I think it's going to be a situation where does he swallow his pride and say, all right, my gamble, my patience didn't pay off. I didn't get what I wanted. You know, I turned down the 18 million from the Browns. I turned down 15 million from the Seahawks. And now I've got to just take whatever I can get. And what does it end up being? Who knows? But you know, to me again, it, it just makes too much sense on both sides from to end up back in Seattle. And so um you know until he says point blank i'm not going back to seattle or if he signs another team i will maintain that there's going to be a, a sliver of hope that he is back in, in a seahawks uniform
2: so joe fan reports that Jadavian Clowney is heading back to seattle write it down yeah absolutely <laughs>
3: put, put the bank um, i have a much joking. more i have a much more pressing question how is uh mr unlimited playing in oh, in seattle
5: God, oh my gosh Truly unlimited. Um, Like last year, I was like, this guy looks like he might have some limitations, but this year, unlimited. Yeah, I mean, what a weird. You know what I appreciate about that is that, like, so that's a two year old video and it it resurfaced. I think Warren Sharp posted it back up and it goes viral. And what I appreciate is that he leaned into it and he had his video guy, Josh Cashman, and aka Cable Thanos, who's a kind of a cult hero among Seahawks Twitter and really is. His videos have kind of transcended the, you know, the bubble of Seahawks Twitter, and he's pretty a well-known commodity at this point around the league, uh, at least on social media. And he works for us, and he had you know him make a funny trailer for Mister Unlimited with different movie clips and whatever. And I was like, you know what? I can appreciate that he's leaning into the joke. You know, I think he gets like he's kind of an interesting cat. You know, he doesn't necessarily have the the swag of you know other superstar athletes, um, but like. <laughs> Certainly, when he gets on the field, he's got all the swag in the world, as much as anybody, if not more. So, um, his off-field persona is is fascinating on a number of levels. Um, but uh, on a serious note, I mean, yeah, he's Russ. He's every practice, he makes some throws where you're just like, he is just absurd. I mean, he truly is. And it's funny, I have friends with you know that still work for the Niners that you know I think ask the same thing, and they're like, so any chance Russ is going to regress this year? And it's like. Not, not that I've seen so far. So, um, right. I mean, the team will continue to go as he goes, and you know he's a tremendous talent. Are they yeah, actually so, going to let him?
2: Are they actually going to let him play this year?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think the expectation is he's been more vocal this year, um, and uh, you know he's acknowledged that. Hey, I want to run more up tempo. I want to treat every quarter like the fourth quarter. Right? We saw it against San Francisco in Week 17. We saw it in the divisional round against. The Packers, where they're down big at halftime, and he just has this miraculous comeback that we've seen so many times, right? And the Seahawks, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Is they're so good in the fourth quarter and they truly are never out of a game. But at the same time, I really do think it allows them to not have their foot on the gas the way it should be when you're opening a game. And so Russ said we should be treating quarters one through three like the fourth quarter. And so he hasn't said that in years past. And so I will, I do think there's going to be a greater emphasis and not just Necessarily to call more pass plays, but it's okay. How aggressive are you early on in games, right? Are you going for it on fourth yeah. and short rather than sending out the field goal unit? Are you going for it near midfield on fourth down rather than punting and playing the field position game? That was what was so crazy about Pete Carroll last year. Beyond just the run pass discrepancy and whether or not they put the ball in his hands enough, it was just this putting faith into a defense. That hadn't earned that benefit of the doubt. It was the defense was a liability for most of the year last year, and Pete Carroll kept treating them like they were the Legion of Boom, and if you needed a big stop, they'd come through and get it for you, and that just didn't happen. So I think on a number of levels, right, it is that you know he's ranks 13th in pass attempts over the last four years in quarters one through three, and ranks third in combined pass attempts in the fourth quarter over that same time span, right? Can he get into the top ten, top five potentially? You know, maybe, but to me, it's a bigger concern of are you are you are you doing what you can in your in-game decision making to put the ball in his hands as as often as possible.
3: So we have a question written down here, but I I think through the conversation that we've had so far, it's it's pretty evident. But to, to me, for the Seahawks to win the NFC West, and the question is, what has to happen? You know, from a Seahawks standpoint, for them to win the NFC West, but for me, it's pretty obvious. It's like let Russ play at an MVP level more often and then hope getting Jamal Adams upgrades the defense enough and, and the development of the depth guys along the defensive line, like you mentioned, is a formula, given how good the Seahawks already were, to unseat the 49ers and and win the NFC West. Is that is that the formula from your standpoint of of the next step that they need to take?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think you obviously have to focus on your division. And this division has been so competitive over the the course of the last decade. And even as good as the Seahawks have been, right, every team has won it at this point over the last decade. The Cardinals had their run. The Rams went to the Super Bowl, the Niners most recently, but also in the early 2010s. Um, you know. And then going into this year, I think it's absolutely the best division in football. I think the Cardinals are going to be a legitimate threat. I think the Rams still have so much talent to where if they can find a way to to get it clicking again, that you can't write them off. Um, I mean, they smoked the Seahawks last year. The, the Cardinals smoked the Seahawks last year. Cardinals almost beat the Niners twice. Uh, the Rams should have beat the Niners. What was in Week 16? Um, you know, so this division has so much parity, and you got to win your division. I mean, that's the focus, right? And you got to get that either first round by or at least hosting a, a playoff game in the first round. And so it is so crucial when you're looking at the top and saying, how do we get better against the Niners? Certainly, when you acquire a player like Jamal Adams, um, you're thinking of how that impacts your division. Okay, can he match up with George Kittle? Can he be an effective pass rusher that helps mitigate, you know, the deficiencies on our defensive line? Um, You know, I think the good news for Seattle, again, is, you know, with Russell Wilson, you're always going to have a shot to where, I mean, the Niners were so clearly the better team last year across the board. I mean, what was it? They had a ridiculous point differential, and the Seahawks were plus seven. And yet right. it comes down to Jeez. a literal inch in week 17 of that de facto NSC West championship game. Um, and so, yes, I, I do think that is the plan. That is the formula. I think that's kind of the formula for any team really. Uh, but especially in this division, as loaded as it is, um, every game is so crucial.
2: So Joe, outside of uh, the teams in the division uh what internally is is stopping the seahawks from winning the nfc west you mentioned the the trenches earlier is that kind of where it starts and ends for them
5: yeah i think it's a mix of your overall overall philosophy like we touched on um, both in your play calling especially in neutral situations um but then also you know your decision making when it comes to how aggressive you want to be on third downs on fourth downs um, whether you're kicking field goals or going for um, you know, for touchdowns, um, but then yeah, I mean, it's the the biggest liabilities without question. I think you look at every position group on the roster as a strength for the Seahawks to varying degrees, except for the two lines. And the biggest question is, okay, how much of a liability might those groups be? And there's a potential they're a huge liability, right? And there's a potential that maybe they're status quo and they're okay. Maybe Bruce Irvin and Benson Mayoa do replicate and get, uh, you know, 15 combined sacks. Mm. Um, maybe Jaron Reed does go back to his 2018 self and get 10 and a half sacks. Um, but again, you just can't take that to the bank. And I think Seahawks fans are so frustrated that the biggest need going into the offseason was pass rush when you could only put up a pathetic 28 sacks in, in 2019. And you come away with Bruce Ervin, Benson Mayoa, and two draft picks, one of which isn't even going to be ready for week one. So I think, again, Jamal Adams helps um, mitigate some of those deficiencies you have. But um, it's really dangerous to go into a season with your biggest question marks in the trenches on both sides of the football, especially when you look at other teams in the division that those are the strengths. Right. I mean, the Niners offensive line and defensive line, arguably the biggest strengths of the team, especially in in regards to the defensive line. Um, And, you know, the Rams still have a ton of talent on the lines. Notably, Aaron Donald. So, um, yeah, I think that is the big wonder of everybody in Seattle of, okay, we know this team is talented top to bottom. We know they're going to be in the mix. But just how much of a contender are they, right? Are they a legitimate favorite? Or are they just a team that's going to be in the mix and potentially get bounced in the divisional round once again? Um, And that is, you know what we have to find out here early on in the season it's a question that's not going to be answered during training camp
3: well that is a great transition to the final question because i'm going to ask you to give a uh, a record prediction for what you think is going to happen with the seahawks from my perspective um we just talked to jordan rodriguez of, of the athletic who covers the rams and we talked about the rams maybe being a high variance team like they could go 6-10 and ten as easily as they could go 10-6 and six type of thing. I think the floor, as you mentioned for the Seahawks, is significantly higher, and I would be surprised if they won fewer than 10 games. Um, I, and I expect them to be a playoff team again because I do think they're going to be better this year. But what, what's your prediction uh, going into the season from a record perspective, and do you think they'll end up winning the NFC West?
5: Um, Man, that's a good question. And I think my biggest that's question mark of, of- – the end of i said 11 and 5 i have this exact same record as i did last year i think their schedule starts really tough um i actually have them at i think five and four um after losing to the rams on the road and they go on uh, a big winning streak because they've got the cardinals at home and then eagles jets redskins rams again um before um there's a giants are in there somewhere um anyways a w. um but i have 11 and 5 and so i think it's the same as last year but i think it'll look a lot better i think it will um it'll be less one score down to the wire games where the seahawks get lucky in that fashion i think they will be able to close some teams out um and, but i think the, the biggest question mark within who wins the division is what does the niners injury report look like and how are they able to keep guys on the field i you know i know you tweeted the other day, the the laundry list of guys, and really, it's like the who's who of the team. And granted, a lot of it is just precautionary, and everyone should be back by week one. But when you guys, when you know, when you're already when you're already kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Playing it cautious and trying to manage guys during camp—that's a tough way to go into the season when they're already dealing with Knicks and stuff. And so, um, I think health is going to be a huge factor across the board in the division. Um, But I think that's, you know, what it will come down to. Like, the Niners are still absolutely the favorite, but um, I I do think the Seahawks have closed the talent gap uh, a decent bit this offseason. I think I will still pick the Niners uh, to win the division, but, um, you know, D. Ford, huge question mark, right? I mean, that guy really struggles to stay on the field. Nick Bosa is such a catalyst, right? I mean, if he's going to be if that, you know, whatever he's dealing with right now is going to be lingering into the year. Um, you know, I'm kind of going in circles now, but it really it does come down to the health of the Niners. If they stay healthy, I think they win the division. If they struggle to uh, keep their stars in the field, then I think the door will be open for Seattle to take back the divisional crown.
3: So this is this will end with this. And, um, you know, this has to do with COVID and, and obviously in Seattle, it's one of the unique venues in the league, just in terms of atmosphere. Obviously, the noise is a thing. Um, they may or may not pump in sound. Um, but it is very loud at CenturyLink Field. I, I'm curious as to what you think, having no fans in the stands, how that could potentially impact uh, the home field advantage and and what the Seahawks have enjoyed at CenturyLink Field for, for so long now.
5: Well, what's funny is they weren't very good at home last year. I think I mean, and most of their losses were uh, – I think majority of losses were at home. Um, and they were undefeated. I think they were 5-0 and and 10 a.m. starts when they were playing on the East Coast. Um, so I think it is a, – it's a, it's a great advantage. It obviously is a place that that's rocks on, you know, you know one, of the, one of, if not the loudest venue in the NFL. Um, but for all of Pete Carroll's kind of bizarre – philosophies and there's some that I think have legitimacy and I think there are some that are ridiculous right and the one that says you can't win a game until the fourth quarter it's like well Russell Wilson's 56 and 0 with a four-point lead at halftime so you actually can win the game in the first half um, <laughs> and you lost several games last year in the first half right so um, but I think when he comes down to talking about every game being a championship opportunity and I think that's really preached where sure it's going to be harder but I I think This team is as mentally tough as you'll find in the NFL. I think it's the Seahawks' greatest edge, to be honest with you. It's why, again, when they're down 20 points in the divisional round in Green Bay at halftime, Lambeau Field's going nuts. They go into the locker room saying, we're going to win this game. They truly believe it. Um, Russ has a lot to do with that, but Pete Carroll does as well. Um, I think that's what Kyle Shanahan and Pete Carroll have the most in common. Granted, they go about it a little bit differently, but those guys, I would say, are two of the best creators of positive culture, in the NFL among head coaches. Um, and, it, and I think that's where Pete Carroll deserves, you know, so much credit. And so I think it'll be a factor, but um, that, that doesn't change my prediction for the Seahawks season just because they don't have fans.
2: Yeah. Uh, Joe, you did a lot of like Niners breakdown there. Leave that to Chris and I. Not right? bad. That's on me. Uh, <laughs> that's, our, that's our thing. That's what we do on this podcast. So, uh, no. Uh, dude, you're the best uh thanks so much for for joining us chris did you have anything else for joe before we bid him adieu
3: no i just want to tell him i i hope this covid thing ends soon so we can all get together and play some golf and hang out again drink some beverages that that type of thing i miss you joe
5: i am so with you guys i uh i couldn't agree more it's uh i think that's been maybe the hardest part is not being able to certainly it's going to be weird not traveling during the regular season, but you know, not being able to come down during the off season even and, and see people and see friends and catch up with folks. And like you said, play some golf and, um, you know, certainly miss you guys. It's a, I appreciate you inviting me on and, and it's always fun talking ball and um, you know, look forward to doing it down the road, but glad to hear you guys are well. So thankful football is, is happening. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, this thing can, can continue uh, and, and keep the ship afloat and we can not just start the season, but end the season as well. And, Um, You know, enjoy the ride along the way, because like I said, and we've been talking about this division is going to be so much fun. There's so many different storylines in all four markets. Um, And I I think uh, everybody's really looking forward to seeing how it plays out.
2: Definitely.
3: All right, man, we'll talk to you soon. We'll see you around the bend and uh, stay safe up there. Okay. Jerry, the
2: best. And continuing with our NFC West preview here, we're going to bring in Jordan Ham. Jordan covers the cardinals as well as the arizona state sun devils and the and the arizona diamondbacks and i don't know if there's anything you don't cover down there in in the desert jordan uh but uh today we're going to be talking about the cardinals you can find jordan's work at sports360az.com uh jordan we we have a running bit on this podcast about beating the heat uh but you're down in arizona where beating the heat is nigh
1: impossible it is uh beating the heat is moving (laughs) <laughs> that, that's essentially what beating just, the heat is just
2: just get out get out of dodge it was funny I, I I'm not a fan of of the heat at all uh, but I lived down in Arizona for two and a half years and I never thought I'd get used to it but the summer I moved back here it was like 98 and I'm wearing jeans mm-hmm. which is not a not a thing I would ever do so uh, Arizona changed me man
1: oh yeah it it, 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 it does that to people and it, it does. yeah it, it does it quick where it's yeah, you know, I my girlfriend moved down from the the Bay Area as well and yeah, within the first 3 or 4 months it was like, yeah, once it got to double digits it was like, yeah, I th- I think I could go for for a sweater. Yeah. <laughs> Hoodie season
2: when it when it ticks below 90. Uh <laughs> So today uh we're finishing up our NFC West preview uh, and I'm going to ask you four pretty general questions um and we'll we'll start off the top here. Did the Cardinals get better or worse this off season? And I feel like I know what your answer is going to be.
1: Yeah, I, I think whenever you add one of the best wide receivers in football, um, and give up one of the worst contracts in the NFL, um, mm. for that trade, um, you definitely got better. Bringing in DeAndre Hopkins, uh, for Kyler Murray, who had a, a a pretty good rookie season, um, and a season where he got a ton of reps. I mean, he was predominantly the only one. Uh, you know, taking snaps for the Arizona Cardinals um, and and showed what he can do, and certainly had some um, you know growing pains here and there. But you add him, and then all of a sudden, Larry Fitzgerald is able to go a notch down the um, down the depth chart. Christian Kirk able to go down. All of a sudden, Andy Isabella might be um, an option that you can utilize. Hakeem Butler uh, that just it just opens everything up for Cliff Kingsbury, who um, showed what he can do and how he can adapt throughout throughout an NFL uh NFL season. Um so I mean I I think that uh that alone will help them. Um and again, you have a, a very bloated contract in David Johnson. He wasn't really playing uh the second half of the season. You're able to include that. I mean, when we were uh you know getting news of that trade, it kind of was staggered out where it was, okay, Cardinals have traded David Johnson. A pick is attached. Okay, well, that you know that will create some flexibility here and there. Probably not getting much back in return. Oh, they're getting DeAndre Hopkins. Okay, and, <laughs> and that's all. And the pick is just a second round pick. It what? Like it, it was? It was so strange. And that was right when you know pandemic was in kind of, uh, you know that that's right when. Uh, you know, the kind of the, the country as a whole was shutting down. So it was kind of just like, am I in the upside down right now? Like, what is happening? So, um, yeah, a- adding him, you, you made some additions uh, to the defense as well um, to help really uh, Chandler Jones and Buda Baker, who have been kind of the, the two consistencies in that defense. So I think um, they have definitely um, improved uh, for this, certainly this offseason, and we'll just see how much they have improved uh, as, as the season gets going.
2: They also added Isaiah Simmons in the draft, and he's somebody I was so fascinated with. And as the draft was going on, and he just kind of kept falling and falling, the Niners were sitting there at 13, and I was trying to do the math of like what teams needed what, and then trying to figure out if the Niners would actually take him. But then the Cardinals stepped in and took him. Do you think the, the big thing with him was he can play all 11 positions on defense or whatever it was? But is... Is he gonna is he gonna are we gonna see that versatility right away, do you think? Or do you think they're gonna try and get him to master uh, one spot in the NFL first before they start kind of playing around with where he plays?
1: Yeah, they have been very clear they're going to start him as a linebacker, um, and especially with this offseason where um the, the reps have been limited. Mm-hmm. You don't have preseason games where you can kind of get some some errors out of the way before um the games actually start counting. But what they they really want to do is have him start as a linebacker, and then um, as he's able to master that, uh, hopefully for the the cardinal's sake that he can then um, you know move into a potential nickel si- situation or safety or you know it, it's really the the creativity gets flowing, and I think that's the one kind of holdup about the the draft pick. I, I think you can see the credentials and you can see the versatility he has. It's really going to come down to Vance Joseph and his ability to utilize this talent properly and make sure that you're getting the most out of him. So um, I think that's kind of actually the bigger question. There aren't that many questions about what Isaiah Simmons can do. And you have Jordan Hicks, um, Devon, Devon Kennard in that linebacking core, you know, a couple of veterans. So I think that those are going to be good guys that he can bounce ideas off of and, you know, definitely learn from, um, but it, I think it's really going to come down to how they're able to schematically use him, but um, the fact that he's just on the field all of a sudden, i mean Kyle, you saw it yourself with with George Kittle, the tight ends just absolutely gashed uh, mm-hmm. the the Arizona Cardinals um, throughout the entire year, and really the past two years. All of a sudden, this is a guy that has that athleticism, that size, that can at least match up and eat and potentially slow down some of these tight ends. Um, so if you put him in strictly for that, he'll help the defense. Um, but yeah, they they're really um, they're excited about his potential, but it's, they're not going to rush him um, with adding on too much at once.
2: What has to happen for the Cardinals to win the NFC West outside of? Things happening to other teams. What has to happen for the the Cardinals to play their best season and possibly uh, win the division?
1: The offensive line has to hold up um, and play consistently. They were fine last year but the I think the the reason for optimism is they improved as a unit and for the most part they stayed healthy um, when you think of DJ Humphreys when you think of Justin Pugh um, even JR Sweezy uh, all three of those guys when they're on the field they're pretty good but They've had trouble over the years staying on the field consistently. Uh, Throughout that year, they were able to do that. So um, if they're able to stay healthy, they now have some depth. Uh, They were able to steal Josh Jones in the third round um, with like the 72nd pick. Um, Mm. Pro Football Focus had him as like the 16th best player, and he just kind of just fell through, uh, you know, the second and third round for the most part. So um, they're very excited about him, but not going to rush him back. Um, But it's really going to come down to the offensive line uh, when you look at going up against the 49ers in that front seven. Uh, you know, the Seahawks are always consistently pretty darn good. As And you have a guy like Aaron Donald against the Rams. Uh, you're going to have to be able to protect your quarterback. Um, and I think they're kind of looking almost at, at Baker Mayfield as a cautionary tale. Had a great rookie season. Year two took a step back despite getting Odell Beckham Jr. and a bunch of guys he can throw to. He didn't have time to get the ball out. And I think, so I think they were trying to address that as much as they could. Um, They signed DJ Humphreys to a a long term deal. Marcus Gilbert was going to come back from injury, um, and he was getting very high notes um, in the kind of close off portions of of practice. He has since opted out, but they've signed Kelvin Beecham, drafted Jones. Um, all of a sudden, Justin Murray, who played right, kind of got thrown into right tackle, can now be a depth guy and kind of bounce around. It sounds like Beecham, at least uh, to start the year, is going to be the, the starting uh, right tackle. So it, it's really going to come down to that. You can see... Uh, You know, we talked about the wide receivers. Kenyon Drake uh, in the backfield now. Dan Arnold is a guy that um, has a lot of hype around him as a tight end. So the weapons are around Kyler Murray. It's just a matter of giving Murray enough time to get the ball out and Murray also growing from not trying to do too much because a lot of the sacks that he did take last year were on him, him hanging on to the ball too long, trying to do too much.
2: Is that the thing that Murray has to improve on the most, do you think, is just being decisive and getting rid of the ball?
1: I think so. Yeah, he uh has the accuracy, he has the arm strength, he knows when to tuck and run. Um uh, he is also very good at avoiding hits. He he made it very clear. He's like, "Yeah, I I'll I'll get on the ground. I don't care. I'm, I my pride isn't hurt if I if, you know, I dive before someone gets yeah. to me." Um but really it where he got in trouble was Um, You know, trying to pull off some of those plays. He was able to at the college level with Oklahoma, where he just, you know, pulls a throw out of nowhere and is able to complete it for 40 yards. A couple of interceptions happened, um, but mainly it was the sacks. And then all of a sudden you're in a, you know, second and 15 rather than a, a second and 10. And that completely transforms um, the the offense, especially with those defenses, I, I mentioned where you're going to face them six times throughout the year. So that's that's really going to be the next step for him is to, um, you know, pick and choose when to make those plays. What's standing in the way of the Cardinals
2: uh, getting over the hump and, and and winning the NFC West?
1: I think a really good division. Uh, you know, the, the, the 49ers, the, the Seahawks are consistently good. Um, yes, the Rams are probably going to take a step back, but there are a lot of really good uh, players on that roster. Um, so I think it's it's a matter of depth and a matter of just being in a really good division. Um, Steve Keim has done a good job adding some depth over the past couple of years from, you know, that 2018 season where it was virtually unwatchable football. And it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just a bunch of, you know, like, wait, who is this guy again that's coming onto the field for the Arizona Cardinals? They've been able to kind of replenish that a little bit. Um, but it's going to be interesting with this offseason, especially um, not being able to, like, truly evaluate your own guys against, uh, you know, various teams in the preseason on the second and third team. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, how much depth they truly have um, in a kind of odd ramped up season, um, but also just playing some some really good teams this year.
2: If their games against the 49ers in 2020 go exactly as they did in 2019, where the Cardinals need one stop at the end of the game, do you think they've improved their defense enough to get that stop?
1: I will tentatively say yes. Um, <laughs> I, I I do like some of the moves they've made. And yes, like they... They did deal with some injuries. Robert Alford last year was going mm-hmm. to be the guy opposite Patrick Peterson, who missed a chunk of the year due to his suspension. Um, he got injured again. They they've brought in Drake Kirkpatrick. It sounds like he's going to be the guy opposite Patrick Peterson now. Buda Baker another year. Jalen Thompson in that uh, in that secondary as well uh, another year. Um, and they've brought in some pass rushers. It's going to be interesting to see Jordan Phillips, um, the defensive tackle that they signed from Buffalo. Uh, he has had a fine career but last year was the double digit sack um you know good. season for them so uh, the optimists are looking at that and then the um pessimists or realists are saying okay that was one year is that the outlier if it's if it's not the outlier then they have a pretty good you know defensive front 7 if it is then you're going to have Chandler Jones and a couple of veteran um linebackers but there might be a little bit to be desired on that defensive line All right so all that being said I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you for a
2: record prediction for the Arizona Cardinals this year and whether you think that predict- uh, that record's going to be good enough to win it.
1: I'm going to go I'm looking at the schedule right now. I'll I'll probably say 9 and 7 and that might be a little bit optimistic um but I and I think with an expanded playoff uh, they might be able to sneak in there. Um, but I think that's a, a pretty good jump from where they were last year. Um, they had a, quite a few games uh, where, you know, ball bounces a, a different direction. They win a game, but by that same token, uh, you know, their tie against Detroit, uh, if Matt Patricia doesn't Matt Patricia, they probably lose that game. Um, mm-hmm. So they they were in a ton of close games. It's just going to be, I, I think, a matter of, uh, you know, how much preparation they can really get and what all these teams can really get in such an odd offseason.
2: It feels like they're in a little bit of the same spot as the Browns, and you brought up Baker Mayfield earlier, but it feels like they're in the same spot as the Browns were last year, where like we were a year ahead on the hype. Like I think the Cardinals are going to be really good, but it feels like there's some glaring... Uh, weaknesses that are going to keep them from really being this like great team even if Kyler is awesome which I think he's going to be.
1: And and that is a really good point. I think um this is the first time they're going to be playing with expectation. Uh in mm. in the second yeah. half of the year, they were, you know, kind of coming in under the radar and stealing a couple games here and there or at least being competitive um and but now nobody's going to be surprised when Kyler Murray's coming at you and you have DeAndre Hopkins and you know all these great weapons on the offensive side and an improved at least presumed uh, improved defense. So that will be interesting to see a uh you know a very new NFL head coach still in Cliff Kingsbury who I think grew a lot last year, but how does he now manage expectations?
2: All right, well hey, Jordan Ham. You can find him at sports360az.com. You can find him there for for Cardinals I mentioned Arizona State. Uh, hey, real quick, since since you do cover the Sun Devils, uh, what do you think of Brandon Ayuk? What, what, uh, when he went 25th, was your reaction like, that's too early, I'm surprised he fell that far. What, what are your thoughts on Brandon Ayuk?
1: 49er fans are going to love Brandon Ayuk because he is a big-time player. He's kind of a quiet guy, but he's got some confidence to him and, and a little bit of swagger to him. He got multiple... Um, unsportsmanlike conducts for various celebrations, and most of them were kind of BS flag. Like he he high fived a flag a, a fan after like his third touchdown against Washington State, and that was about it. But uh, he had the game sealing uh, touchdown against Oregon. Uh, you know, Oregon was a, a top, I think, five program at that time, um, and he threw up the Oregon O and pretended to like punt it into the crowd. That was awesome. Um, yes, he is a guy that. Um, you know, every year in college football, you always hear about, okay, it's like this guy's year. And we had heard, you know, Ayuk had a pretty good second half the year prior, um, but he was going to be the guy uh, replacing Akil Harry. And first game, he's like hurtling defenders and, you know, you you get a little bit of green in front of him and he's going to, uh, you know, make these defenses pay. So um, I think in that offense, he is going to be a monster. Um, and yeah, right right around 25, that's kind of where... The Arizona media expected him to fall, um, you know, being on either he's going to fall into the second round and help a team that really needs some help, or he's going to be just another really good option to a, a playoff team that went really deep. So uh, with the 49ers, I think that he's just really going to thrive over the next.
2: Jordan Ham, you can find him at sports360az.com. That wraps up our NFC West preview. Jordan, hey, thanks so much for for taking time and uh, hopping in
1: here and and try your best to beat the heat down there in arizona man i'll do what i can uh ask me about two months from now how i'm doing on that i think i think it'll be a, a little bit better than where we're at right now but appreciate you having me
2: we'll check back in for sure thanks buddy that's jordan ham you can find him sports 360 az.com that's going to finish up our nfc west preview special mega show thing that we did here uh really hope you enjoyed it By the time we're back on this podcast, we're going to be doing a full-blown like game preview. It's going to be game week. Uh, It's going to be a ton of fun. Really looking forward to it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Subscribe, rate, review. Do all that jazz. We appreciate you. See you next time. Did somebody say playoffs? NBA and NHL are playing for the gold, and our partners at Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. The MLB season is pushing into fall, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. Guys, I'm telling you, if you're not a huge baseball fan, get to Bet Online and start wagering on baseball. It is so much fun. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day, all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile